How many of you paid attention to the sermon this morning? <laughs> All right, who, who was the subject of the sermon? What character in the Bible? There you go. Do you know the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. How many of you sang that as a child? Well, good. I'll print the words. Well, next time Dr. Daniel preaches on Zacchaeus, we'll be ready. I'm sorry I wasn't ready this morning. I should have been ready this morning. Uh, we're going to sing uh, number 105, Marvelous Grace. Let's stand as we sing. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Dark is a stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson, whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace.
singing good tonight. Number three, <coughs> excuse me, number 338. 338. Wonderful words to Giants. I was fortunate enough on that team to have several members that were believers, and through them, um, you know, that's really the way I came to faith in Christ. Since I've been a Christian, I've had several opportunities to share my faith. With the platform that I had in the NFL, I've been asked to do multiple speaking engagements, and I've been able to lead a lot of people to faith in Christ. One specific is my current business partner, who at the time had a tragic event in his life. His wife's brother was tragically killed in a car wreck on 400. 
And because he had seen me reading my Bible at work, um, sharing faith with others, the day after this accident occurred, he walked into my office and asked me about my relationship with Christ and what that meant. And immediately on the spot, he accepted Christ. And uh, he's just one example that I can give. My one that I'm praying for is a gentleman that I work with. He is from South America, so I have a little bit of a language barrier, but I have been learning a little more Spanish to be able to communicate with him. And uh, my prayer is that I get an opportunity to share Christ with him. What I would say to other believers uh, as they're praying for someone um, is to never give up. We can go a long time uh, praying for someone, not seeing the results of what we're trying to share with them. But, you know, the biggest thing for me is just perseverance and never give up. I'm Coleman Rudolph, former NFL player. I have my one. Who's your one? When, uh, focus there about identifying one person to pray for. But I just want to remind folks, the North American Mission Board, they, they started that a year ago. It's still, that's a brand new video they're putting out. Just reminding folks, just because maybe we went through that a year ago, you still on a daily basis can be identifying one person and pray them to the Lord. It's exciting to see even uh, former NFL as well as Georgia Tech football players seeing their coworkers come to faith in Christ. What I thought was powerful about that video and what spoke volumes about it was how a tragedy in his coworker's life brought, God used that unexpected death on Georgia 400 to lead basically his uh, boss to the Lord. And that's in encouraging to be able to see that certainly happened. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through uh, chapter 14, verse 7. We're going to look at two sections. Now, before I get started here and we read this, we have a special guest. She, uh, one of the topics we're going to be talking about, I'm about to read here, is really talking about how God uses persecution to advance the gospel. So I'm going to ask Miss Sherry Osmond to come forward. She has a story she's going to share. We'll give her a microphone. Well, it's a little known fact that I um, love to give my husband expert tips on his sermon. And so this morning, um, I wasn't paying attention to my bulletin, and it says, sometimes missionaries endure persecution, and sometimes missionaries move on. And so I'm thinking that we're on this sermon, even though I'm looking at the evening sermon, and I'm taking notes on what examples he should be giving. <laughs> and so ironically, that sermon is tonight. And so he said, well, since you have such a good example, you can give it to him. <laughs> so I said, okay. <clears throat> and um, in the scripture that he is, is in today, in Acts 14, it talks about the stoning of someone. And I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's easy. I showed a video this morning of, of Deborah, the judge, to the kids. And, you know, it's easy to think that I used to happen so long ago, all this persecution um, and just the uh, brutality of it. Um, but it actually still happens, and I wanted to share with it. Um, David Platt was our IMB missionary. Um, well, he was an IMB missionary, what was, huh? president. And he came out with this book this year, I think, and it's called Something Needs to Change, A Call to Make Your Life Count in an Urgent World of Need. And um, it's based on, or the scripture that he's reading as he goes to the Himalayan mountains, um, there's this week-long trek that he, that he is in, um, is based on Luke 14. And I'm just going to read just a very little part of it. It says, um, Luke 14, 25, it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And so he references this throughout the whole time. And in the, the Bible verse that Daniel's going to read today, um, it actually talks about a stoning. And so um, it made me, it reminded me of this girl. I've almost, I'm a faster reader than him, so I, he didn't know this example because he hadn't quite gotten there yet. Um, but the story is of Alicia. And so I'm going to just read part of her story and just how even though in the United States we don't see this, it still is happening everywhere, and, and we just don't know of it. So one of the local, her name, her name is Alicia, one of the local teachers from the school we visited yesterday is joining us for today's trek. Her name is Alicia. 
At some point in the next couple of hours, our guide tells me that Alicia would like to share her story with me. She'll really give you a perspective on Luke 14. Not long after, I catch up to Alicia. She's in her early 20s, fresh out of completing a teaching degree at a university in the capital. After a few minutes of conversation about the beauty of this area, I ask Alicia, can you tell me about your family? <clears throat> Where were you born? A village farther up in the mountains. Do your parents still live there? My parents, Alicia starts, but she pauses. Well, I should probably go back a little bit. I was born on what my family believed was a bad day. My village was very superstitious and certain days were seen as evil. And I happened to be born on one of those days. My grandfather, she continues, was a devil talker. People believed he could communicate with the devil. And when I was born on that bad day, my grandfather pronounced that I was born to worship the devil. So from the time I was young, about three or four years old, he told my parents that I needed to give offerings to the devil every day. So my parents built a small room outside of our house with an altar to the devil. I can remember as a child having to leave our house every night, walk out to the small room alone and in the dark, and give an offering to the devil. Every night, Alicia repeats, I was very scared. But then one day, everything changed in my dad's life. Alicia says, a blind man came through our village with a guide alongside him. This blind man came into our house, and he told my dad about Jesus. He told my dad that Jesus has authority over the devil and of sin. He told my dad that Jesus is the one true God who came to conquer the devil, sin, death, so that we can be forgiven of our sins and be restored to a right relationship with the one true God. Had your dad ever heard of Jesus before, I asked? So this was probably 15 years ago. No, this was the first time, but it didn't take him long to believe in Jesus. He knew that worshiping other gods and spirits, including the devil, was wrong. He was ready to believe in Jesus. Everything in my dad's life changed. He had a whole new outlook on everything. This blind man gave him a Bible, and he started to read it alone and with our family. Before long, my mom believed in Jesus, too. And for me, I no, had, no longer had to worship the devil. Instead, my dad began teaching me about Jesus. How did your grandfather respond to all of this, I asked. He was very mad, Alicia says, and not just him, everyone in the village. My grandfather and the rest of the villagers believed my dad was introducing a foreign god into the village and that this would bring trouble. As Alicia talks, I realize she is illustrating the resistance of the gospel that has been explained to us. So in a matter of just a few weeks, she continues, my family was totally ostracized in the village. What do you mean, I ask? We were told we could no longer get water from the well, that we would need to go to another village instead. No one wanted to share a meal or come into our home anymore, and we were like outcasts. As Alicia shares, I can tell this is all very painful, but I'm not prepared for what she shares next. Then one day, Alicia says, her voice now starting to tremble, when I was about 12 years old, my Elizabeth's age, my daughter's age, my mom and dad were walking on a trail to get water and supplies from another village. They didn't come back. And though I started to get worried, that's when our village leaders came to the house. They told me, as my parents were walking back to our village, a landslide occurred. The rocks came tumbling straight towards them, and my mom and dad fell down the mountain and died. But that's not actually what happened to my parents, Alicia says. What do you mean? My mom and dad didn't die in a landslide. Confused, I ask. Then how did they die? Alicia pauses, as if she's afraid to say what's about to come out of her mouth, and then she shares. The village leader stoned them. Stunned, silent, I keep listening. Years later, Alicia says, wiping tears away, I learned how village leaders had attacked my mom and dad on the trail that day, pelting them with rocks until they were dead. After this, the leaders pushed my parents' bodies down the mountain. Then they fabricated the story about the land spread and spread the word just like they'd warned. If you introduce a foreign god into the village, the god and spirits in the mountain will do bad things to you. The reality of Alicia's story sets in as she shares. To this day, whenever anyone talks about Jesus, Anywhere near my village, people will say, don't worship Jesus. Remember what happened to the only other people who worshiped him here. They died in a landslide. As we continue walking, Alicia tells me how she knew she still wanted to follow Jesus. And after being orphaned, she ended up going to school and home down in the city where she was also found a church to be part of. And I think what's so powerful about her story is that she held on to Jesus and now she literally is a missionary in the area where those people stoned her parents and still goes and, and prays for them. So that was just really powerful to me, I think, because, you know, it's, 
all around us, there's treachery of Satan, and we might not see it so physically here, you know, in the United States, but for her, it definitely is, so that's all. Thank you, Ms. Sherry. Uh, that is a powerful story, because I think what's so powerful about it is there that, in that region, these people were basically used as an example, saying, you introduce Jesus Christ, you introduce Christianity, and remember what happened to Alicia's parents. They're dead. We, you know, we, we killed them, and then try to blame it on a mudslide. And the thing about it is there's no justice in some of these other countries. So there's no one, basically it's the law of the land, so you can't go and say, well, we're going to sue you, or we're going to do that. So, but that is that, uh, and that that did not happen that long ago. That's in the Himalaya Mountains, right there. Um, uh, in, in, it's a country called uh, Bhutan, I believe that's how it pronounced. It's right next to Nepal. It's a very uh, extremely high elevation area. So, uh, but that's that's a powerful book as well. So, with that, go ahead, open up your Bible, Acts chapter thirteen, Acts chapter thirteen, and we are going to be looking at here. Of what some of the scriptures she just read. You know, if Miss Sherry Osmond had married a Methodist minister, she could be a preacher. That's a true story. So, um, but in Baptist church, you give a testimony. So that's the uh, that's the difference. So, with that, all right. Uh, and in all truthfulness, you probably wonder why uh, why do Baptist churches not have female pastors? And their answer to that is actually found in the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3 actually tells us there that the office of pastor and the office of deacon is reserved for a man. Now, you say, what about, uh, what about a deacon's wife or a pastor's wife? Yes, there's all, actually uh, high qualifications as well. And in, in the book of um, uh, Romans 16.1, there was a lady named Phoebe and she was called a deaconess, which likely meant she was the wife of a deacon. Uh, so we do see uh, roles for minister as well as minister's wives in Scripture with that. But uh, the, the office of actually in the church is limited in those two positions, a pastor of deacon to a man. Acts chapter 13, verse 42 I have a, uh, a chart up here, not a chart, a map I want to show you because I want to give you some background information on where we're at. So if you look up here, you'll be able to see our map. And on the map, we are on Paul's first missionary journey. What's powerful about this missionary journey is he's going into areas very similar to what Ms. Sherry just talked about, how there's not a gospel church, no one there has likely heard of Christ, so you're going into areas where you could very likely meet great opposition. And always the response, of when you do missionary work, it's always kind of a mixed response. And the mixed response, here we go, the mixed response is uh, many folks are excited about it, but there are those that you will meet opposition. Now remember what happened here. This is a good little map I found. And this is Paul's first missionary journey. We left from an area called Antioch in Syria. There's two Antiochs in the Bible. This area is now in current day Turkey. And we sailed over here to Cyprus, to Paphos here. This is where they met a sorcerer, if you remember. A sorcerer is met here. And um, this is also where, remember John Mark? He wrote the Gospel of Mark. Well, he started getting nervous because here... He probably just thought, okay, we'll sail to the island of Cyprus, and then we go back home. Well, Paul and Barnabas, you know, they're not planning on going back home. So they wanted to, to keep on pushing. They're going deep in to a current day. This is called Asia Minor, this area of the Bible, or this area of Scripture. This is all current day Turkey. Uh, I've often said, and I, I have never been to Turkey, but um, Turkey, after you take a trip to Israel the next place you should go see is Turkey. Because Turkey, much of the book of Acts and so much of the New Testament, it was written right here. In this It's now an Islamic area. 
but Turkey, this whole region. This is where the seven churches in Revelation. This is where the missionary journeys. This is where the, we get the book of Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. So much of Paul's writing and scripture we have came from this entire region right now. Now, you go there today, yes, there's Muslim a mosque everywhere, but you can still tour and see the ruins of, of that area. And Dr. McElmore, I know here tonight, he has been in all of these cities here and, and toured them all. But what happened here on the first missionary journey? They decided they're going to keep pushing and go back to, not go back to Israel. Israel's, remember, Jerusalem's about right here. And this is uh, Syria, which is now Turkey. So Syria lost some land. There, it's now down here, but Turkey's right there as well. But they decide they're going to keep going up. The other Antioch is called Pisidian Antioch. And we're, the two scriptures we're going to read about tonight, we're going to see, is when Paul, he leaves from here and he goes up in here, and he's right there, and then he goes over there. So these two cities, about 90 miles apart. And these are important cities because what we're going to see, we're going to look at the principles of how the gospel, how when you are in a either a pre-Christian or a pro-post-Christian culture, how to go about sharing the good news. Because the truth is, we live now. What Sherry just read there, and what we're reading here in Acts chapter 13 and 14, is what we call pre-Christian, meaning the gospel hasn't going there. Here in Lexington, and here in the United States, you probably aren't going to find any unreached people groups. Now, you might find if people come from other countries, but most folks born in America kind of probably have heard through cultural experience, they see these buildings around called churches, and they figure out what a church is. Church has to do with the religion of Christianity. We now live in an area, what we would call post-Christian. Meaning, when you go and witness to someone they already have in the back of their mind of what they believe about Jesus. Now, they might, it's going to be completely wrong. They're going to believe Jesus is, you know, a great man or something like that. And that's where we have to start. So, understand the difference. In many ways, we've made a giant circle. 2,000 years ago, it was pre-Christian. Now, it got Christianized. Now, the Christianity has basically, because of as Sherry described, the power of the devil is just through secularization. It's just not on folks' minds anymore. They're thinking about any and everything else. So I want you to turn in your Bible here. Acts chapter 13, verse 42. Also, make sure you pull out your bulletin insert. You want to be able to follow along there. We'll definitely be referencing that. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. So where are they at? They were at that little town up here called Pisidian Antioch. And they were about to leave, so they were asked to, to stay longer. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, look at this, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. God used the uh, unexpected visit of Paul and Barnabas to stir up the crowd. Do you know what's interesting about that is we call this attractional evangelism. That's what this is. The, you've got these new guys that no one knows who they are. They've traveled from Jerusalem, from Antioch. They're out of town. And they're introducing this new teaching here. And back in Bible times, we have to remember, like to us, this would be foreign. But in Scripture, remember, there's no TV, no Internet. There's not a city fair that comes. There's not 24-hour entertainment that we experience today. People literally, you know your neighbors, you have to talk to people. There's no phones, no text message. So word travels through word of mouth and if this new guy comes in and he's teaching a new, um, new teaching, well, might as well learn something. Let's at least go hear what the guy has to say. 
Maybe we'll prove them wrong. Maybe I can show off my debate skills. I mean, who knows? At least go. It's something to do. So the whole town there in Pisidian Antioch, they meet also. One of the things about a synagogue is, and this probably used to be the case 40, 50 years ago at the church, the church was the center of community. I mean, everybody came to Wednesday night dinner. Every youth would come to youth group. Every child came to Awana. Everyone came to church whenever a door... I mean, goodness, even in Georgia, when the revivalists came along 45, 50 years ago, the school across the street, they literally came across the street. They had daytime revivals for the, the public school children. I mean, just radically, the whole town revolved around a sense of community with church. What has destroyed that is 24-hour entertainment. That's all it is. The church competes. And I want to tell you, the devil is 100% behind that. Satan's job is to do whatever he can to prevent people from coming in here and hearing this scripture, the word of God preached and taught. Anything he can. Sports, TV, I mean, it, the list now, there's, there's new stuff uh, there, there's, there's new stuff every day. Even our children who do, not, who do not have social media accounts come home and they keep talking about TikTok. And Sherry and I were talking about, do you know what TikTok is? It's the newest social media account. And it's for middle schoolers. Middle schoolers. And it, it is. It's a, this is 24-hour entertainment and next week there'll be something new. I share this because back in Bible times, the synagogue was what the church was 40, 50 years ago in America. In Jewish times, you would go to the synagogue and you see your friends, you go talk about what's going on, you get the daily updates, see who's visiting in town. So Paul, by default, where does he go? He goes to the synagogue and the whole town comes to assemble. Nowadays, I want you all to know, our church does this. But we do it differently. Throughout the year, David hosts special events. He's got one coming up in April where a special concert, a lady from Branson will be here. Vacation Bible School, that's attractional evangelism. The little event where we have the rock wall, where everybody drives by and think, what's going on? It's a free event. You get some food, popcorn. All that is, Broadway Baptist, is attractional evangelism. You're getting people to come from your trunk and pass out a piece of uh, candy to folks. You're getting folks who would not come to a morning or evening or Wednesday night worship service, but they will come to get a piece of candy or to maybe come hold a candle at the Christmas Eve candlelight or something different and unique. That's what has happening here with Paul. You've got someone who's different coming in and we're teaching them. So let's keep going here in our Bible. It goes on to say. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds. Notice what they're looking at. If there was no crowd, they wouldn't care. It's kind of like, you can say whatever you want to say. But if no one's listening and no one's really following you, you're not, you know, nobody really cares. But... Paul and Barnabas, because the word of the Lord is with them, they're getting big crowds. And that's upsetting the Jews. Because of the crowds here, it says, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting them. And you know, that's how you attack folks. When you can't beat them in the... Remember, Paul is a brilliant man. When you cannot defeat them and point out their fallacies and what they believe, you just start making fun of folks. You start going after their beliefs of who, of, of who they are. You insult them. Look at this. Look at their reply. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life 
believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the prominent, God-fearing women. So wait, before I move on, think about what happened here. The Gentiles heard that, okay, first the gospel is coming to the Jews, but the Jews have rejected it. So now it's for us. They've received it. And it says it's the word of the Lord is spread. And don't miss that phrase there. Verse 48, it says, and had appointed. If you go back here to verse 40, I want to point out a word. Because uh, I want to bring this up. If we go to verse 48 here on the screen, it says here, and honor the word of the Lord. And look at this. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Appointed to eternal life. How do we interpret that? Salvation is a free gift. We are saved by the grace of God, obviously. God freely came. But we have to remember, when we see phrases such as that, appointed, we don't want to water it down. But we have to remember there's a sovereignty also in salvation with the Lord. God knew, number one, that the Jews were going to reject the gospel. Number two, he knew the gospel then was going to go into Gentile cities such as Pisidian Antioch here. So the Lord did know. He, it didn't catch him off guard. He's, Paul's trying to say, listen, Gentiles, it's not like you're getting leftovers. God knew that the J Jews were going to reject this. So by, in his providence, he allowed their rejection for you to come in and be saved. But he was aware of this. He had appointed it. He was completely sovereign in that. And for us, God knew if you give, have given your life to Jesus Christ, or you give your life to Christ tonight, God at some point appointed, he knew that you were going to be saved. Now, we still have to respond to the gospel. But remember, God doesn't live. He's not bound by time. He knows who's going to be saved. He knows every soul that's going to be in heaven. So their sovereign, the sovereignty of God, when you talk about the salvation, the doctrine of salvation, you have the sovereignty of God. God knows who's going to be saved. But then the best way to respond, um, understand it is you also have the responsibility of man. We are responsible and walk in the aisle and giving our heart and our life to Jesus. We are responsible of going, taking the gospel to pre-Christian Himalaya mountains. We're also responsible of taking the gospel to a post-Christian Lexington, where people are now, well, they've just, you know, church is something grandma did. We don't do that anymore. We've graduated. We've got my phone. We've got technology. It's replaced it in many folks' minds. We've moved on. Keep going here. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. So who were those folks? These would have been the wives of the prominent Jewish men. So basically, we've got to stir up some folks. We've already been put to shame. So it's, for example, what would happen is say Paul came in here in a new teaching. Say this was a synagogue. And I tried to refute Paul, but I couldn't do it. So then some other folks, I would go and say, Sherry, I need you to cause a big ruckus and stir some folks up. And let's just get some of your friends to cause a big mess. And so you, you go and find some women who will stir up a mess. So now uh, that's what's happening here. We're getting God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district, meaning they were kicked out of this community. They were saying, we don't want you here anymore. And look what happened. But Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to talk about this, shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. That phrase, they shook the dust off their feet. Now, I want you to know, have you ever had a Jehovah's Witness come knock on your door? I know more than Sherry had. That's they've just re do you know what they do when you reject them? Literally, they're standing on your steps. This is what they do. I want you to watch it next time. You have to peek through the window. 
They will. They'll do that every single time. They shake the dust off their feet. Because in their mind, you have rejected them. And that's where we're going to show this. Oh, keep your finger here. Flip back here in your Bible. Actually, we'll put it up on the screen. I believe we have it here. It's the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10, verse 11 through 15. So we can just read it up here on the board if you can see red. I'm going to read this for you because Jesus talked about this. He talked about what to do. And we're going to talk about how do we shake, when and how do we shake the dust off our feet? Are we like the Jehovah's Witnesses? Do we just go around? I mean, that's, um, I, I don't really know if that's what Jesus meant. But here's what he meant. Verse 11. When you enter any town or village... Find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Meaning, find out who's worthy, who's receptive, and who will accept your message. They are, they're, they're open to what you have to say. All right. Verse 12. Greet a household when you enter it. Verse 13. And if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. Meaning... You go and greet somebody. You're there sharing the gospel, doing ministry. You're there to share the word of the Lord, to be kind to them and with the good news of Jesus. And if they're receptive, you want to extend the same, uh, same peace to them. Verse 14, we've got two more verses here. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, look at this, this is Jesus saying this, shake the dust off of your feet when you leave that house or town. Last verse here, verse 15. Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What that means is, in that verse there, Sodom and Gomorrah, that, leave it there on verse 15. What he's talking about is when someone rejects, if you go to someone and you're bringing the message of Jesus Christ to them, and they reject it, it is literally the same as Sodom and Gomorrah continuing to stay in their sin. It will be the same judgment. The lake of fire. Burning sulfur. Remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. It says burning sulfur came down and destroyed their towns. Remember Revelation chapter 20. What is hell made up of? Burning sulfur. Burning sulfur is hell. When someone rejects you, they're not rejecting you, they're actually rejecting Jesus. Our responsibility is to still push forward and continue with the gospel. And we can't allow a rejection to, for us to throw in the tower, because it's discouraging. I mean, if you've been praying for your one, if you go invite someone to church, if you've been maybe praying for people you know who need to be here on Sunday night, and they won't come, and you invite them, and they just make up excuses, they say no, and you even sense they're just getting, you know, at some point, you know, it can, obviously, I know it gets discouraging, but what he's talking about, shake the dust off your feet. At some point, you have to decide, okay, do I need to focus in other areas? And I have it here, here in your bulletin, sir. I want you to pull it out because we're going to look at the three other areas here. This is your little bulletin, sir. I'm going to mention them here. This is when you should take, shake the dust off your feet. There comes a time to accept rejection and move on because here's the truth. If you're spending all your time and energy in trying to work with one person, they constantly keep rejecting you. There could be other folks, other people. I mean, you can still pray for that person, but God does close doors. And that now, that's just not the time. And here's three times that you need to know you should move on. Number one, the sin of compromise. We have them up here on the screen. The sin of compromise. What does that mean? When a person no longer cares, when you go to someone and you quote this book to them and they do not care, it does not matter what you say to them if you're quoting the scripture. Basically, they have compromised the word of God. 
It's falling on deaf ears. It's irrelevant to them. At that point, if they have just no regard for God's Word, remember, they're rejecting God's Word. Little compromises open the door to big compromises. And soon, once they start disregarding parts of the Bible, soon they will just, anything goes in their life. That's a slippery slope. That's why it's, we as believers, we have to stand on the Word of God. You say, do you illustrate that? I, I will illustrate it. You know, I cracked a joke about Sherry being a female preacher. I cracked a joke about if she was in a Methodist church, she'd be a female pastor. That's a Methodist church, say, 40 years ago. If you were a Methodist 200 years ago, you wouldn't see a female pastor. Would not find one 200 years ago. For, starting about 40, 50 years ago, they started, the Methodist church opened that door. Methodist churches, United Methodist Church is about to split. It's, now it's not female pastors. Now it's homosexual pastors. That's, and it started, look at the, what happened? 200 years ago, this is the, you know, John Wesley, David, some of our hymns that we have are written by John, what, Charles Wesley, some of them are great. He, they were devout Methodists. Back in those days, they did not have female pastors. They came along in the late 40s and early 50s. And when liberalism started creeping into churches. And then we fast forward now 70 years later, and it started with, oh, yeah, we can, yeah, Sherry can have the pulpit. That's okay. Big deal. Now homosexuals taking the pulpit. You see, that there is how it starts. Once you start giving in a little to the Word of God, I mean, literally, it just, and you say, how does it happen? I'll tell you how, the devil does it. This is what Satan does. Once he can get you and I, or a church, or a denomination to start doubting and questioning some of this book, he's got you. Once Eve started looking at that fruit and listening to what the devil was saying, it was over for her. Hook, line, and sinker. She fell for it. This is why you and I, we guard and protect the Word of God. It is the standard for every practice in our life and every practice in the church. This is why you need to know your Bible. You know, I was even under, I listened to um, podcasts. One of the podcasts I listened to is uh, this guy named Craig Rochelle. He's the pastor of Life Church. If you have a Bible app, one of the most popular Bible apps, not one of the most popular Bible apps called the Holy Bible. It was produced by Life Church there in Tulsa, um, Oklahoma. Well, I was listening to him, and it was convicting what he was saying. This is like on Monday, Tuesday of this week. He says, one of the habits he had gotten into, the first thing he had started doing is when he, got, when he gets out of bed, his phone's right there next to him, he was checking his uh, email, social media accounts, what is the news? I mean, he, laying in bed, I mean, literally, first thing. And God spoke to him and says, Give your mornings to me. Is your email. I mean, you even created the Holy Bible app, the first one. Why don't, instead of you checking whatever news you, you feel is important, the first app you open, the first thing you do on your phone is you're reading the Word of God. And that's his commitment he started making. And I thought, that's powerful, because I was just like him. I was that guy that right away you get your, the alarm goes off, and you're, re, you're reading what you've already missed, as if you missed something at 3 a.m. And it's right there, whatever, whatever important message it is. The first thing you and I should see is when our, we start our day, the first thing we read is the Word of God. And you can have an app on your phone that does that. You can follow along right there. And then after that, you can get going in the rest of, um, uh, the rest of other million and one things that we certainly read. The sin of compromise. This is something that you and I, if we have not decided tonight, if you have not decided today of how you believe on certain issues and how you feel about Scripture, you will find yourself compromising the Word of God. Number two, the state 
of redundancy. This is when we should shake the feet off our dust. Dust off our feet. If a believer is going to go through the motions, or if little use, there comes a time where you say, I'm not being utilized. Now think about this. If God has given you spiritual gifts, and the Bible says He has, you should be using them in your church. It would be wrong and sinful for you to be a born-again believer here at Broadway Baptist Church, and God has given you these gifts, and you are not allowed or even able to use your gifts. There's just nowhere for you to serve. And you're wondering, what, what can I do? If you feel your spiritual life is just going through the motions, like this is just the daily routine, God likely is speaking to you. And He's saying, you need to make sure that you're actually in the will of God and what you're doing. Because there comes a time where if you're just in this redundancy of this, you're, you feel like you're stuck, maybe you need to focus in other areas. Maybe you need to go to another church. Maybe you need to open a new door and serve the Lord there. And that's another area we have to say, am I in a redundancy? Am I being utilized? Number three, and this is, folks, and it's easy can develop in our life, but an antagonistic attitude towards God. Do you know there are people here in our state, in our central Kentucky region, right here in Lexington, they actually hate God. Anything we do, they will oppose. They are completely against it. You know, I have a Thursday discipleship group. We meet at KNS Bar and Grill. I have a group of guys we meet with. And we were talking about this this past Thursday. And I shared with them an example. In Georgia, one of the things, great, great one, great things we did down there. I almost, I wish we could do it here, David. We identified every single home in our zip code. And there were actually, not, not number of people, but actually dwelling places of houses. And there were like 1,283, almost 1,300. And I, on one Saturday, we, 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 have it, we had about... Um, 25 teams of two and three people. It might have been 30 teams. We had a great number of folks go out. Teams of two and three. And we gave them streets. Every single street in our zip code. And we got the word of God. Bibles. And Lifeway produces these Bibles. They're 99 cents. It's a full Bible. Nice Bible. It's not a, just a New Testament. Old New Testament. And we put them in these little baggies. With a little invite to church. As well as the Bible in there. And we would go up to those homes, every single home. So each team had about 35, 40, 50 homes to go visit on those streets. And we would just walk up there, knock on the door. If they came to the door, we handed them the package. If they didn't come to the door, we left it on the little door hanger. Every single home received the Bible. Now the next Sunday... We came into church, and we did this on a Saturday. So apparently this family um, came there and uh, wasn't interested. They had gotten their Bible and wrote a note on it and threw it up. I guess they threw it. They threw it up on the front porch of the church with a little note that says, No, thank you. Not interested. Don't want. Don't come again. It was very clear where, where they stood on that. That house was anti-God. They wanted nothing to do with the earth. They even took the time that day to drive up to our church and just chunk it up there so that we got the point they are not interested in the Word of God. You know, when someone is that anti-Scripture, anti-God, at that point, you just shake the dust off your feet. You continue to pray for them, but you realize this is someone who's probably not at least going to be open right now of hearing the gospel. They're, those people are all around us. They might not be that dramatic in their sense, but you have to realize there are people of the devil who've been so demonically influenced, they know anything Christianity is Christ-centered, they are going to have an attitude that's against it. And the truth is, you and I, if you are aware of this, 
you know you're going to get mixed results. You know there's going to be opposition to Scripture. Um, you go ahead and prepare for it. All right, moving along. Last section here. Acts chapter 14. We're going to read these seven verses. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. In Iconium, so remember it says, they left, they shook the dust off their feet, and their disciples were filled with joy of the Holy Spirit. So I know the last verse there, it says, if you read that in verse 52, it says, wow, they just got rejected and run out of the city, and now they're excited. But the truth is, they found their excitement in the Lord because there were some folks there that did believe and were excited about it, while others were against it. You always have to dwell on those that were receptive to the gospel, not on the negative. And that's a principle for believers today. It's easy to think about the bad things that happened to you, whereas you need to rejoice and be happy and look at the great things that God was certainly doing. Verse, verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue. Now remember when Iconium is about 75 miles southeast. As usual, and they spoke in a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But look at this. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. You know, it still happens today. People poison your minds that you're trying to. If you try to lead someone and point somebody in Jesus, I promise you they will have someone on the other side, coming in the other ear, trying to turn them away from the gospel. Every invitation... If you know you need to respond and you need to walk this aisle and make a decision for Jesus, or maybe join this church or rededicate your life or maybe join by watch care if you're a college student or say, hey, I'm going to get saved tonight. I promise you, I promise you, the Lord will be leading you to do that. But the devil is going to be right there saying, why don't you do it next week? Why don't you think about it? Why don't you make an appointment? Anything possible to delay Delay, delay. And God wants us. He's saying, now is the time. Look what happens here. So we've got folks poisoning the message of Paul and Barnabas. So they stayed there a long time. And look at this. Just like at the Pisidian Antioch, it says here, they spoke boldly for the Lord. They were bold. That meant they were confident. They were not bashful. I want you all to know something. Sherry came up and gave a testimony. She shared what God was speaking to her. Can you do that? If I asked you next week to come up here and share a four or five minute testimony of what God is speaking through you on a Sunday night, would you be able to do that? That's speaking boldly for the Lord. Guys, listen. Every single one of us should have the confidence in Jesus Christ that we can come and share what Christ is doing in our life or how he spoke to us or something that happened in our life this past week, how the Lord is using. That encourages other believers. Keep going here. They spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. So God's blessing them with gifts. But the people of the city were divided. Here we go. That same old response. Every time they're divided. Do not be surprised when people are divided over your message. People will reject you. They'll reject me. They'll reject the ministry of this church. They reject the gospel. It's going to happen. You'll invite people. You'll press forward. We'll go on a mission trip to Vermont. There will be people saying, oh, you don't need to do that. That costs too much. Those people up there are Democrats. That's Bernie Sanders land. You shouldn't be bothering them. Anything possible to hinder or prevent or discourage the gospel work. Whereas we as believers, we just, Paul just kept pushing. Look at the push he's got. Look at the drive. Some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews, with their rulers to mistreat and stone them. Look at this. They were trying to kill them. They found out about it. Look at this. And fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. Let's go back to our map up here. Look at our map. I want to show you all what happened. 
they went into this city called Iconium. They boldly presented the gospel. They went there. They got run out of town. They were here. They got run out of this town. They, they stirred up prominent women and men. They had to come over here. And the next two towns are out here. They're, just, they're, just, they're not stopping. They did not allow discouragement and opposition to hinder the church. Listen. Has Broadway Baptist, has the ministry of our church, have we allowed external forces to push us down, to push us back? Have we allowed the spirit of discouragement to allow us to let our foot off the gas? We just came out of our deacons meeting. We now have deacons meetings on, on 4.30 on Sunday afternoons. We've moved on to Sunday afternoons. Our new chairman of deacons, he is here, Mr. David Humlong over there. David, you can raise your hand so folks can see. He's our new chair, chairman of deacons. We talked about Easter. We're, what, two months away from Easter. Last year, we had 480 people attend Easter. Easter is always a good time for outreach. This year, our goal is 600. So how are you going to do it? We're going to be aggressive and getting the deacons and the staff and you involved in inviting people to come celebrate a risen Savior. Jesus is alive. Easter falls on Sherry's birthday, April 12th. You want to be thinking about, who can I invite this Easter season? It's spring. People are thinking about making commitments. They're thinking about getting involved in church. They need to come to it. It's a great opportunity. But what happens is, you put a number to something, 600 people, that's a goal. Somebody will come along saying, we shouldn't be talking like that. We should set the goal for 500 people, just a little bit lower. And we shouldn't be numbers focused. Anything you decide to do for the Lord, you will meet opposition. We want to be a church that has the same characteristics where these folks, they're run out of town and they didn't stop. They just kept going. If Lidstrom sends, get, says, we don't want you here, get out of here. And they were trying to kill them. But God allowed them to find out they were wise enough to say it's time to move. When the, we're about to, when the death penalty is coming down, we need to get going in the middle of the night. Even Jesus had to do that. That's why he had to go to Egypt in the middle of the night from Bethlehem. But he fled, they fled here to these next two towns what do they do? They continue sharing the gospel. Tonight, here's the point of tonight's message. We see these two men, Paul and Barnabas, with a passion for constantly pushing forward. These guys did not retire. They did not throw in the towel. They did not allow the spirit of discouragement to hinder them. Have you allowed a discouraging spirit, a discouraging word, to really just throw water on your Christian witness? When we are rejected, guys, we just, we literally, we just dust, the, dust uh, take our feet and, and shake the dust off our feet and we move on. If God can do this 2,000 years ago in a pre-Christian, pre-Christian's area all through Turkey, He can certainly do the same in a post-Christian area. Kentucky. Lord, I pray tonight that you speak to us. Lord, you allow us to respond with boldness to this invitation. God, I pray for the folks here tonight that we will do a great work with a passion for the gospel. Lord, I pray for Mr. David Humlong, our new chairman of deacons. I pray for your spirit to come upon him. Give him a boldness for being a leader, for moving this church forward. Lord, we're two months from Easter, exactly, exactly two months from today, from Easter, eight weeks away. Lord, I pray we will exceed 600 people because I know you want your church to grow. You want to see these pews filled. You want to see folks walking the aisle, giving their life to Jesus, to you, Lord. God, I pray tonight, if there's anyone here you have spoken to them. You are moving in their lives. I pray they respond to that message. 
this evening, our invitation. We give you this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand up and sing. David Dell is going to lead us in our song. We close every single worship service with an invitation.